Get ready to enjoy an earful of auditory indulgence as you explore Tom Moon's book, 1,000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die, presented in cooperation with Workman Publishing. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 1,000 Recordings podcast, episode number 35. And I'm your host, Anthony Joseph Landman, and with me every week is my co-host who shot a man in Reno just to watch him die, Mitchell Davis. <laughs> hey, I, I don't remember that, but that's fine. <laughs> How's it going? It's going good. It's it's good to be back. Uh, you know, we've been out of commission kind of for a couple of months, and I just released episode 34 last week, but that episode, I don't know if people realize it, was actually recorded, uh, you know, a couple months ago. Um, yeah. at the, I don't, I can't remember if it was at the very beginning of September. Maybe it was, I think maybe even at the end of August that it was recorded. That. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, uh, that, you know, sat around for a long time. I had I, uh, an equipment failure in my computer and, uh, I've recently discovered a sort of workaround still haven't fixed the problem, but. I've, I've discovered a workaround that allows us to 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 keep recording and uh, release shows again, which is good. Um, so I I plan on uh, uh, making a fundraiser probably on Indiegogo.com here pretty soon, and I'll announce you know more about that later. But um, yeah, yeah, we're back and it feels good to be back. So. It does, it does. It's been it's been too long. Yeah, for sure. Um, this week on the show, we've got, I don't know, again, five new albums, five uh, eclectic albums to talk about. Uh, the first one is uh, a CD by cellist Pablo Casals of the uh, Suites for Cello by Johann Sebastian Bach. Then we're going to move on to a Brazilian group, uh Cascabulho, I, I don't know if I'm saying this right, Cascabulho, uh, their album released in 2000, Hunger Gives You a Headache, <laughs> with a very interesting uh, album cover that we'll talk about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then we're going to talk about Nico Case, her album from 2006, Fox Confessor Brings the Flood, and then two albums of the iconic Johnny Cash, uh, the first one at Folsom Prison. And then uh, American Recordings, the first of those releases. Two so, heavy records. Yeah, man. Two heavy records uh, released at definitely different points in his life. It was really oh, interesting yeah. to to hear the dichotomy. And But we'll get into that. Uh, the first we're going to uh, start with is Pablo Casals CD recorded uh, between 1936 and 1939 and uh, of uh, Johann Sebastian Bach's his complete suites for solo cello and uh, you know the first thing I noticed you know and I'll get into Pablo Casals here in a minute but the first thing I noticed is how really great this sounds for being recorded in the 30s you know Uh, I mean usually these these recordings which they usually refer to as like archival recordings or historic recordings are uh you know the sound quality is usually not very good it's usually very scratchy and 
And uh, the sound quality on this is, I think it's amazing for something recorded in the thirties. Yeah. I, I I wouldn't have guessed that when I, when I first uh, took a listen to it, it it is, it is very good. Uh, Like you said, most of the time, the the methods of recording, um, I guess compared to now, we're not that great. And, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of that is, is on the, the performance obviously as well, where you're just, you know, listening to a guy who was, you know, probably, you know, one of the best cellists to play us, uh, cellists to play like, you know, during, you know, our lifetimes. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. And, kind of, kind of hearing him, I guess, you know, and, you know, at, at one of his peaks, you know, while he's, you know, recording, I guess. Right. Right, right. Um, so yeah, Pablo Casals was probably the first great cellist, you know, uh, of the recording era, I, I should say, um, mm. and, and ba- really the greatest cellist of the early twentieth century. Um, you know, he's kind of the Yo-Yo Ma. So Yo-Yo Ma is kind of, you know, the Casals of our own time. Um, mm. So yeah, Casals. He he was born in 1876, and died in 1973. Uh, he was born in El Vedrel in Catalonia, in Spain. Um, and you know, the guy had a very interesting life. I mean, not to go into it, you know, super detailed, but uh, he started playing music, you know, really young. He played a lot of different instruments. Played you know, piano and flute and violin and. Um, uh, at an early age, discovered cello and decided to sort of focus on that instrument. And uh, when he was just 13 years old, he discovered an old copy of the Bach cello suites in a music shop and apparently practiced those pieces every day for 13 years before he played them in public. Well, wow. um, you know, the, these pieces, these cello suites, a lot of many, many pieces by Bach are these kind of pieces that musicians measure themselves by. They're like sort of, you know, ultimate achievements. You know, if you can, if you can really play these pieces and play them well and play, you know, that, that's, that's what, that's what makes you a great musician. It's like a milestone to, uh, to achieve, you know, to play these pieces, these kind of pieces, you know, whether they're cello suites or suites for violin or, you know, harpsichord suites or whatever. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I mean, he eventually became, you know, world famous. He, he became a composer as well, although I've never heard any of his music. Um, I'm kind of interested to uh, check it out now to see what it sounds like. And uh, he was also a conductor and uh you know, went all over the world, played all over the world, conducted all over the world, and lived to a really old age. Um, mm-hmm. You know, li- lived to, I don't know, I think he was 96 or 97. Looks like ni- 93 when he, I think he was in, he was living in San Juan, or, or he was in San Juan, Puerto Rico when he died. I, well, you know, I think you may be right, 96, 93, somewhere in there. He was, he was, he was older, a lot older than yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Most people live, so right. Um, yeah, I mean, speaking of that, you know, um, just last week we released 
episode 34 where we were talking about Elliot Carter and uh you know a few months ago or more than a few months ago and it's it's weird we we've had something like this you know s- several times happen with the show it's weird but the day literally the day after we released that episode And we were talking about, you know, he's still alive and, you know, he's 104 and all this stuff. The day after we released the episode, Elliot Carter passed away. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And he was almost 104. I think they said he was like three weeks shy of his 104th birthday. But, um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Pablo's already dead and he doesn't have anything to worry about. But, yeah. uh, (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, we're going to get into this, uh, this, uh, Bach, you know, these, these cello suites and a lot of, uh, cellists since then, you know, have recorded the complete suite. So there's six of these suites for solo cello that Bach wrote and, uh, each one of them are like, a like a suite or collection of dances of the time. And they all start with a prelude. So there's like a prelude movement. And then there's like, you know, all these dance movements inspired by dances of the time. So there's an Alman movement, a Courant and, a, you know, minuet and this and this and that and a jig and all this stuff uh, that makes a complete suite, uh, you know, to make a complete piece, you know, so it'll be like six or seven movements. Um, prior to Casals playing these pieces, the convention among cello players was to sort of pick and choose among like all the different pieces. So they would just pick this dance out of this piece and maybe this prelude out of this one and just play them as like separate pieces, you know, um, Mm -hmm. like taken out of the context of like the full suite. And Casals is really one of the first people to start performing these as they were intended as the complete suites, you know, um, from beginning to end and you know because he felt and he was right about this but he felt like that you know the entire suite was composed uh with a specific function and a specific form and you know it, it unfolds in a certain way that Bach intended you know from beginning to end it unfolds like like I've told I've mentioned this before it unfolds like a journey right it's almost like you're watching a movie or something um but like a musical journey and you know you can't get this if you just take one movement out and just play it out of context right um so he was the first one and i I believe he was the first person to record all of these cello suites in, in their complete form as bach intended them to be played he was the very first um you know which was uh a revolutionary thing in itself um and uh, yeah, what did you think? What was your overall impression of this stuff? Well, well the, about the last part you talked about, I was trying to imagine that where, like even the, the, the pauses that, that were in the movement, you know, how did he work that in? I mean, you know, that was that was something I was curious about because, I mean, what I, what I heard, I really liked, but I was like, to play a whole piece and, and even parts where, you know, I guess there would be like breaks, I mean, you know, where it'd just be like a, like a, like a dead spot or a silence or I'm, I'm, was there something else that would come in as far as another instrument in the arrangement? I mean, you know, I, that's something I was curious about, you know, when they talked about him playing the entire piece, even I guess the, 
and I say breaks, I mean, I guess what I mean is like the, the rest that were in the movement. Uh, uh-huh. I mean, what, what was that like? I wonder, I mean, because, you know, I, I didn't notice that, you know, from what, um, what I listened to, um, uh, as far as what we're going to talk about, I mean, it, I mean the clips that we're going to talk about, I should say, sound bites. Um, right. I, that's, I don't, that's I don't one know. Thing that's I kind of on my mind. You I know? don't know. I'm not totally. I'm not totally sure. I understand what you mean. Well, I mean, you know, if if he plays like a whole piece, and let's say like that piece has a like a a part where there's a, a pause or a rest in it, you know, in the movement. Um, I mean. You know, I, I, for I understand, he he would he would include that too, and I was like, what does that even mean? Because see, that's what I'm trying to wonder. That's what I'm wondering about. I when I read that in the book, you know, where it seems as if you know there there would be something else that would come in, you know, maybe like another instrument or or, or something of that nature. Uh, but you know, maybe oh, I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Do you mean about like the repeats and stuff like that? I think that maybe that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, definitely there are no other instruments. I mean, these are pieces okay. that were just composed for cello alone and nothing else. Okay. Um, but what Tom Moon means about repeats is that, um, yeah, you know, playing this music, playing Bach, uh, you've really got to know something about the music and you got to know something about how the music works and, you know, how, uh, the music of the time worked and how people of Bach's time and Bach himself would have played the music. You got to know the conventions of the time. You got to know the style, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've heard so many recordings of uh, people play Bach and they have no idea what they're doing and they have no knowledge of the style and no knowledge of the music of the time. And they it just, it's just notes. You know, it's just people mm-hmm. who might have technical facility on their instrument, but they end up playing notes and not playing music. And that is a huge difference between playing notes and playing music. You okay. Know? Um, you know, it, you can sit down and play a bunch of notes and not necessarily be making music out of them, you know. So basically um, giving giving more expression and life to to the piece rather than, like you said, just sitting down and, and verbatim playing what you see on paper. Right. And especially with something like Bach, you, you have to know that stuff because people of Bach's time and Bach, they knew how to play the music. So really, if you look at, you know, a manuscript of Bach, there's really not a lot of information on that score. Um, There's the notes and the rhythms pretty much. And that's all you get. There's no, expression markings there's no you know crescendos and decrescendos there's no tempo markings there's no you know there's there's no other information on there other than just notes and rhythms because people of the time knew how to handle this music they knew the style you know Mm -hmm. um so really they didn't feel like it was necessary to put that information in the in the score you know i got you um so Casals, you know, he he knew this information. Uh, he knew how to play certain things, like certain conventions. Like if you're playing a Bach, one of these suites, um, the next to last movement is almost always this pair of minuets, right? And how it should be played is it should be the first minuet should be played um, with the repeats, right? So it's it's like the minuets, there's two minuets, 
and they're usually in two parts each. So you play the first part of the minuet and repeat it, then the second part of the first minuet and repeat it. Then you go on to the second minuet, you play the first part of that and repeat it, second part of that and repeat it, right? And then you go back to the first minuet and play that through with no repeats. So how do you know that? There's nothing in the score that tells you that that's what you're supposed to do. Because what it what happens is it, it becomes this three-part form, you know, almost like a triptych that you're looking at or something. Um, but there's nothing in the score that says, okay, play this twice, then play, then play this, and then go back and play the first minuet. You have to know this convention, you know, mm-hmm. from the time. You have to know the style, you know, to, to do this. And, um, and he, he knew it, obviously, because right. He, Right. He had he had an extraordinary dedication to it, obviously, from, you know, what you said earlier about the way he he practiced, uh, especially from a very young age, um, which, you know, just basically made it second nature to him. Right. I suppose. Yeah. If you want to if you want a sort of modern equivalent of this, uh, of this phenomenon, you know, like playing something, if you don't know the style, go to like any music store in your town and there, you know, you can find a bunch of books, you know, uh, popular music books. Pick up a book, like, let's say, pick up a book of songs from by the Beatles, okay? Just do this as an experiment. Then, you know, you go home. It, 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 it's funny because when you look at the printed music for the Beatles and you look at the printed vocal melody, and you go home and you play it verbatim as it's written in the music, it sounds utterly ridiculous. <laughs> because because you cannot notate that style. We all yeah. know what the Beatles sound like. We know what they you know their music sounded like. And when we get a book like that, you know, you automatically play it like it's supposed to sound because we know that style. Well, you know, remove the Beatles. You know, try to try to remove yourself from it and say, okay, you're someone living, uh, you know, 250 years in the future. And, you know, the Beatles and all, you know, this style isn't at the forefront of, you know, our consciousness or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then we, you know, open this book. This is notated Beatles songs. And you have no idea, like, you've never heard the Beatles play before. Mm -hmm. And you have no idea how this music is supposed to sound. And so you start playing this music as it's notated verbatim. And it sounds sterile and boring and just, you know, lifeless. And I totally totally get what you're saying where, let's say you're in an elevator and you know, one of your favorite songs comes on in a Muzak style, you know, like like what they call elevator music. And you know that it's that song, but it's not the way you're used to hearing it, where it's it's just kind of like a flat version of it, um, a version that that's that's the basic, you know, sort of premise of the original. Like you said, like you you're, you're going up in an elevator and you hear like I am the walrus. You know, but it's it's instrumental and, it, and it's got all the vocal taken out and it's, you know, the the arrangement and the pitch are different. And you're like, that's that's I am the walrus, but it's not, you know, and and I, I, I'm kind of getting to what you're what you're saying now, where, you know, he he basically knew the way, you know, these pieces were supposed to be played 
in, in their original form and and tried to stay true to that rather than you know you know giving it sort of like a a straight line you know linear basic you know interpretation you know and i i didn't get that at first you know that's why i was trying to ask the question as i i i wasn't totally understanding what 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 he meant you know what tom moon meant right by right that. but uh right. yeah I, now i do <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so we're gonna start um with uh we're actually gonna listen to the bookends of the third suite in d minor bwv 1009 and we're going to listen to the first movement and the last movement. So we're going to listen to the prelude and then the last movement, Gigue, which in these suites, uh, I'm pretty sure they all end with a Gigue, which is a really sort of fast and lively dance, you know, so that, that all these suites start with a prelude and end with a Gigue. And uh, the prelude, I was going to talk a little bit about the prelude. You know, these all start with preludes. And the prelude basically came about this piece prelude um, through uh, the convention of, you know, let's say you're an organist in a church, right? And you're getting, you're gearing up for the service on Sunday morning and you need to, you know, loosen up your fingers and get the organ ready and just warm up, you know? Uh, and organists started to, uh, you know, pretty much kind of improvise, Mm-hmm. At, at the at the uh, you know at the keyboard, just warming up, you know, just getting their hands warmed up, getting the organ warmed up, and uh, it became sort of a free kind of uh, uh, piece, you know, sort mm-hmm. of a very free, very improvisatory piece. And eventually, over the years, this sort of developed into a piece that composers would actually write out, and they would call them preludes. Um, Mm. and, and that's why there's a prelude that, you know, is the first movement in all of these suites and all box suites, not just suites for cello, but you know, the solo pieces for violin, they all start with preludes, you know, all the pieces from the well-tempered clavier, both books, you know, they're all, you know, a prelude and a fugue, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so all these pieces start with preludes and that became the convention of the day. You know, you would have a prelude start off this piece and it's almost like, you know, this is, you know, we're getting warmed up, you know, it's it's sort of a free piece, you know, free from, you know, conventional form and they can sort of, you know, let their hair down and just do whatever they want, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely, I'm familiar with, with that kind of thing where, like you said, especially in a church, um, where people are still kind of just getting, you know, acclimated to being inside the church, and suddenly, you know, the the musicians or, or organists or whatever they they sit and they just kind of, like you said, p- play freely, and you know, and, and in church, I guess that would almost be like what what people would say is a, uh, you know, in, inviting the Holy Spirit into the service, so to speak, and like you said, it it can be very free. Sometimes, you know, maybe uh, even a little a little vocal ad lib here and there uh not necessarily what, what we we're talking about but i i've i've kind of been exposed to that where you know you have somebody play something that not is not necessarily a written piece at first you know like you said right. it's just something that that's kind of like spontaneous but uh i guess the sort of you know crossing of 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 that kind of music where it goes into being a written piece is is something that's 
you know, rather unique. Not everybody can do that, I guess. You know, I mean, anybody, I mean, like you said, I guess you can sit down and write notes, but but to write it, it freely like that, um, I guess it would be some something somewhat different. Um, right. You know, maybe right. like in the, even in this, I mean, I don't want to compare what we're talking to now about um, with uh, with uh, somebody like, somebody like Sun Ra. Uh, he was one of those guys that, I mean, he he could write almost anything. I mean, you know, whether it be something that was very structured or very free and, and without any structure. I mean, he seemingly was one of those guys that could take something that, that seems like, you know, an avalanche of music, but actually write it on paper to where what you heard, you know, may have just sounded like, you know, total chaos, but he he could make sense of it you know, through notes and music and and composition, right, uh, right, so to speak. No, you know? I mean, dude, what you're what you're saying is, um, I don't think you realize what and a a very appropriate comparison that is. I mean, I don't think a lot of people realize that um, comparing someone like Sun Ra and Bach is, is you know, actually a very. Uh, it's 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 a very good comparison. <laughs> okay, cool. compared compared to to the way they worked and all this stuff, you know, they're just you know separated by time. But yeah, anyway, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's play this first one. Should we do that? Sure. Let's 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 do that. Okay, uh, we're gonna listen to an excerpt from the Prelude. Uh, from the suite number three in D minor, BWV 
And we just heard uh, the prelude from suite number three. And we're going to move on to the Gigue, the sixth movement of this suite number three in D minor for solo cello. And, uh, you know, what I like about this piece a lot and what I like about Pablo Casal's version of this piece and his playing, uh, you know, Tom Moon uses the word visceral to describe his performance. You know, I, I totally agree. I mean, he makes this music uh, just visceral, you know, full of life and full of joy. And, and it just sounds like, you know, Casals is playing this music just out of the pure love of playing of this music. You know, it just sounds like he loves it, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, it sounds like he's lived with it for a long time, you know, many years, which he had, you know, um, this, the music had a really profound effect on him and he, you know, worked on this music and practiced it and performed it, you know, his whole life. Uh, yeah. and, uh, what'd you think of the Jeek? Um, just like you said, it, it sounds like something that he, he basically was, you know, totally dedicated to, you know, Give, giving his all in the performance. I mean, you know, like you said, you know, really vibrant performance, full of life. You know, it just, just sounds like something that he he could play. You know, you know, almost in his sleep. You know, where he he had learned it. You know, so so well to the point of where it was a part of him. And um, I I think um, one thing that I I, I think about with the the style of his playing and and how dedicated he was when you look at um his uh i guess his wikipedia page it it talks about how um a comedian george carlin you know looked at uh his body of work and was saying that uh he even in his his older age you know was still practicing like i guess three hours a day and uh, in, in all into his 90s, and you know, people were asking, "Why do you still do that?" And then he replied, "I'm beginning to notice some improvement." You know, <laughs> and I'm like, "Wow!" <laughs> After all those years, you know, he still is is you know learning and and hearing new things, and I mean, I mean, in a way, that's that's awesome. <laughs> you know, I mean, to to go through a life like his and still be you know, into, you know, his nineties and, and still hear things, you know, that are, are new and, and different and, and better, so to speak, even right. in his own plane. Right. You know, that's, that's great. <laughs> so, Oh yeah. That's awesome. You know, one of the, one of the things I love about this recording is that it's not perfect. And when I say that because, you know, when you listen to uh, this movement, the G and there's just, you know, several times in there where there's some like, you know, <laughs> notes, yeah. you know, and stuff, which of course in the thirties, you know, like you couldn't, you know, open up pro tools and digitally, and clean it up. you know, yeah. digitally insert, you know, two milliseconds of a note from another, you know, a different take and fix it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just, again, you know, we talked about this before, but it was just, you know, you sat down, you did it in one take. And so it's essentially, you know, recordings from this time, they're essentially live recordings, you know, from what we we think of, you know, live recordings. Um, You know, it brings up, you know, an interesting 
kind of phenomenon that we expect as listeners in 2012 that the recording industry, you know, because it's so highly, uh, especially now with the digital age, you know, you can fix anything, right? Yeah. Quote yeah. unquote fix, right? So we have a sort of unrealistic expectation of perfection, you know, especially when we even when we hear live performance, because we're so used to hearing quote unquote perfect performances. Um, I think it has created an unrealistic expectation that if everything is not absolutely perfect, like if you walk, watch like American Idol or something, yeah, you know, and if, uh. <laughs> you know, if they're a little flat on one note or something, you know, they, you know, they get the whole pitchy thing and which is fine, you know, I mean, uh, but he, you watch American Idol and you realize what an incredible production, you know, has to be mounted in order to get that perfect performance. You know, and it's yeah. really unrealistic, you know, um, very, very. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's the one thing about that show that I, I don't like is that the the nature of, of of music being so very polished. I mean, when like you said, where there are no mistakes, otherwise it's like the whole thing has to be, you know, tossed away. I mean, that's not real music to me. I mean, you know, I know a lot of people like American Idol and that's fine. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a popular show. It's, it's, it's helped a lot of people, you know, kind of launch their careers. And, but I mean, life is not like that. I mean, life is full of mistakes, you know? Right. And, right. and some of the best music was made with lots of mistakes, you know, where let, let's go look like, for instance, the Beatles, I was talking to a guy yesterday about that, where some of the things that they had in their music, where I mean, obviously, we were talking about the Beatles a little bit earlier, which is simple mistakes that turned out to be, you know, great revelations for them. Um, you know, other artists that, you know, would go through and even, you know, talk about the mistakes that they would have there. We're like, you know what, let's just leave that in, you know, that I mean, it, we didn't want we didn't really want that to happen, but it actually helped enhance the music, you know. That to me is it's it's part of the whole process, so to speak. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, we've got we've got two recordings like this this week. The other one is the uh, the Johnny Cash um, the Live at Folsom Prison recording, which I mean, there's definitely it's fantastic because there's they're like just there's messing you know what we would think they're messing up and and all over the place, mm -hmm. you know, and forgetting lyrics and. Um, yeah. and off key yeah. and, and all, all this kind of stuff and they don't care it's it's yeah you know, they keep going you, and it's it's fantastic you know you forget the words to your own song right. and, and ad lib <laughs> to it like like johnny cash did i mean and, and like you said the 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 guys in the prison they didn't care i mean for them it was just like hey you know we just saw johnny cash like you know kick his own song down the street like a tin can you know that was awesome right 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 <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, let's uh, let's hear this last track from uh, Pablo Casals. Uh, this is from JS Box Suite Number Three in D Minor, BWV ten zero zero nine, the Jig. <laughs> Thank you. 
and we just heard the Gig from Pablo Casals. And we're going to move on to our second album from Brazilian group Cascabulho. Their album Hunger Gives You a Headache, released in 2000. And uh, it was, you know, it was kind of difficult finding information about this band. This is a, a, another album you know, I've never heard, never heard of this group. Uh, so totally new to me. Um, not a lot of readily available information out there, you know, on this group, but, uh, I did find out, you know, some things obviously, you know, from Tom Moon's book and, and some other sources. Uh, but this, uh, this whole, well, this group is, is part of a sort of a movement that, uh, came up in the early nineties in the Recife, uh, region of Brazil. And, you know, if nothing else, you know, well, I'm learning a lot about music from doing this, but I'm also a lot of times learning more about geography. <laughs> like I know where Mauritania is now and all this stuff. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, again, I opened Google Earth because like, okay, where is Recife? I just wanted to see like where it was physically. And uh, basically it's a city on the, like the easternmost point of Brazil. So it's right on the uh, Atlant- Atlantic Ocean. Um, and, uh, it, you know, so- sort of uh, northeast Brazil. But but basically, if you look at a map and you look at, you know, the whole continent of South America, it's like at the easternmost point of that continent. So um, that's where it is. Um, apparently, this whole movement was ushered in by this, this guy named who... I guess, uh, dubbed himself Chico science. Um, and he came up with this mangue beat movement, which is sort of a fusion movement. It's like a fusion of, you know, indigenous Brazilian styles, uh, funk, electronica, hip hop, rock, and just all this stuff, you know, that, that got fused together. Um, and pretty much, you know, all this stuff started to come out and, come into uh, popularity, I guess, during the same time as the Seattle scene and the whole grunge movement was happening here in the United States. It was early nineties, basically. Right. Right. Um, and you know, this group is a, is an offshoot from that movement. Chico science actually uh, was killed in a car accident in 1997. And uh, there's a statue to him, you know, in, in Recife and uh, he's, you know, I guess well, I don't. Maybe this is like a horrible analogy, but you know, it's maybe sort of the Kurt Cobain of <laughs> of Monkway Beat, I guess. You yeah. Know? In yeah, some ways, so. uh, um, yeah. I, what did you think of this whole thing in general? Well, it's 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 definitely kind of like a cool mix of of a variety of types of music. Um, you know, whether it it be you know the the roots of kind of Brazilian music or You there? Uh oh. I think we lost Mitch. Um, okay, we were- so yeah, basically I asked you what you know, what you what generally you thought about this Casabulo album. Uh just a great mix of uh 
a variety of things. Um, you know, definitely, you know, the, you know, the sound of, of Brazilian music and, and the, the percussion type, you know, samba sound that, that it has, but also, you know, you know, a lot, a fusion of, uh, definitely a lot of things that, that I guess you would consider American, you know, some, some kind of funky stuff and some sampling and, and hip hop sounds and, um, the 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 call and the response element is definitely here you know where you know you have people like like Fela or um you know Chuck Brown like we talked about earlier i mean that that's definitely here too so um you know they they seem like one of those groups that would have been really fun to see live um you know as a matter of fact i think that's where they they kind of had their uh their sort of you know, start as far as the spotlight being shined on them. It was at, at, a, at a festival. I can't remember what it was. I was reading about them, and it was there was some festival that they played at where someone saw them, and or a bunch of people saw them, and then suddenly they were like, you know, you know, in demand after that. All of a sudden, um, but uh, you know, you know, definitely a, a great, you know, fusion of of all sorts of, you know. I guess what you would call, you know, world musics. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, uh, I, yeah. I, I definitely liked it a lot. I mean, it, it's a, it's one of those one of those albums. If if I had not read this book, I I would not have heard of them. Right. You know, I, I I had heard of Chico Science. Um, really, you had okay. Yeah, I, I think the first time I I saw something from him, I, uh, actually, I think it was 120 minutes. Or, or amp one of those shows on MTV that would come on in the middle of the night whether as a matter of fact it was I think it was amp MTV used to have a show called amp where it was all kind of music that was you know off the shore I mean you know like future sound of London and you know the orb and you know Fotech and apex twin a lot of a lot of electronic and and groups that would kind of mix different sounds together and you know you you wouldn't hear on the radio per se, I guess, um, but uh, yeah, I, I I didn't know from reading this that he had he had, he had died, um, you know, so I mean I and I, I guess it, it wasn't like a group that I really I, I was really like a fan or anything, but I yeah. I definitely had heard his name you know before so right, um, yeah I have to say I was I was a little I was a little eh on this album. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's. I didn't. It's, I didn't. I didn't, dis, I didn't dislike it. You know, I did. I didn't dislike it, but I don't know. I just was like, oh, okay. I, I was just kind of like, eh, it's all right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and so it, to me, it was just the, the beats and the rhythms. That stuff is fun. You know, I, yeah, I like that. it's fun. It's fun for sure. You know, this, um, it was very lively. You know, to yeah, me. Yeah. yeah. The the first track that we're gonna start is a uh, Vovo Alaide and um or Alaide, I'm not sure. Uh and it's weird, you know, I, I went always try to go to uh Google Translator and, and find out, you know, what these titles mean. And uh man, I could not uh translate either one of these. I don't know what the deal is. Um uh, you know, I put could, in Port- could be a local like a local dialect or a yeah, you know, like it could slang, be. You know, that, could that be. doesn't really translate. Could be. Yeah, because, I mean, it wouldn't translate. Uh, neither one of these would translate at all. 
I don't know if it was a problem with translator, but I would just, you know, in one window it would say Portuguese and in another window it would say English and it was like the same. I would type in the <laughs> thing and it was like the same in both windows. So I was like, okay. But, uh-huh. um, you know, it starts out with this uh, spoken, you know, it sounds like a sampled spoken introduction. I, I wish I could understand it. You know, I have, I have no idea uh, who it is or, or what the person is saying, you know, unfortunately. Um, you know, there's some interesting stuff in here. There's some, uh, they sample some Charlie Parker, uh, mm-hmm. in the beginning. So like you get these little snippets of, uh, Charlie Parker, it's kind of mixed in with this accordion mm-hmm. and it is cool. I like it. I, I, I think that thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. I, I um, totally agree with you with the accordion parts on, cause I, I went and listened to some of the other stuff. Some of the accordion stuff on here is, is, is excellent. I mean, yeah, like I said, it's, it's just like a bunch of gypsies, you know, <laughs> that, that kind of were traveling here and there and, and decided to make a record. And um, it's got a lot of different sounds on it as far as, you know, elements of, of music from, from South America, you know, and from, you know, North America. And, right, um, right. And, you know, it's got some organic stuff. It's got some electronic stuff. It's like I said, it's got some, some kind of, you know, hip hop influence sounds. It's, it's just like a bunch of people who like, a lot of different things and wanted to try to say them all, you know, <laughs> right. But, but still kind of keep the perspective Brazilian nonetheless, you know, it's, yeah. it's definitely like a world groove type situation that I guess they, you know, they decided to, you know, put together. And I, I, I going back to the whole live thing, I, I'm going to look and see if I can find something from them. I mean, I guess maybe via YouTube where apparently they, they, they were really, interesting uh live i guess where they had all kinds of stuff going on on stage so hmm. yeah cool yeah i mean uh, yeah you can definitely hear um the brazilian stuff and this you can hear the samba and this and other latin american styles but you know strangely in this i can hear even like tejano and even zydeco and i don't know mm. if that's intentional but uh yeah, I mean, I can hear all that in this in this music. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's like a it's like a good a good mix of a variety of things, you know. Just and that and that can be fun, you know. It, it's not every stuff for everybody, I guess. But I mean, you know, I I'm definitely somebody who's who's interested in 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 music outside of you know this country, you know, when it comes to you know the, you know influence of of things, you know, foreign, so to speak, I guess, you know, if, especially if it sounds, you know, like, like this, where they, you know, like you said, this, the sample that, that starts at the beginning of the song, I I don't understand what he's saying, but I, I just like the fusion of, of music and samples and and the way that they, they can kind of, you know, sort of work together, so to speak. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I mean, like I said, I, I wish I could, understand the significance you know of this uh the sample in the beginning so you know if if have hey if anybody out there knows you know email us and, and let us know yeah um but uh let's check this out this first track from cascabulo this is vovo alaide hotel É coco pra lá, é coco pra cá, é vovó lá e vi no quintal. É coco pra lá, é coco pra cá, é vovó lá e vi no quintal. É coco pra lá, é coco pra cá, é vovó lá e vi no quintal. É coco pra lá, é co
Vovó Alaide chamando as galinhas Tem milha, vevita e farelo Tangendo as cabras da batata do jogo de capoeira é amarelo Terreiro limpinho, a vaca amarrada Pião e a ruda pra rezar Que lado da horta pede macaxeira Lata de água fresca na cabeça Casa de farinha tem forró na noite Chama o cascabulho pra just heard Vovo Alaide and we're going to move on to the second track uh, Clementina de Jesus no Moro da Consiecao <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah um, so this one you know uh, the things I liked about it uh, you know you can hear some funk in this piece and it's got this kind of Hammond organ in it that sort of it was hard for me to to classify. I mean, it almost sounds like a Hammond organ you would hear in soul, but also in maybe some gospel music. Um, but it's also got this, you know, like frantic rhythms and the percussion and bass going on at the same time. And um, this kind of call and response type, you know, style singing, you know, where the, the dude will sing a line and then he'll have this sort of chorus respond, you know, back and forth. Um yeah, what did you think of of this one? Yeah, I, I, all the stuff you said. Plus, like I said, the the call and response. I mean, that's one of those things that that made me, you know, kind of come to the, you know, realization that I bet this was one of those songs, especially when they played live. You know that, you know they they would they would kind of thrive on. You know, and uh, you know I'm I'm trying to check out something from them where they they're performing now, um, and you know I I love that element of, of music where you know, it's, it's, it's good, you know, especially, you know, when played, you know, on a record or whatever, but when it's played live like this, especially with the, the call and response of an audience, it, it, it adds another element to it. And like you said, the, the, the organ and, and the, the, the mix of rhythms, it's, it's, it's just a lot of fun. You know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, glad to kind of, you know, you know, be introduced, you know, you know, to this, this music. I mean, it's, it's just something that, um, you know, I, like I said, I, I never would have probably, you know, yeah. bothered. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I, away from away from the cover, I, I mean, and about the cover, it is it is somewhat interesting. Dude, yeah, let's know. let's talk about the cover because because <laughs> <laughs> now if I saw if I'm in a record store and I see that cover, I'm like, whoa, you it's, know, exactly. It's like it, it it grabs you. You instantly look at it and you're like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> There's there's a lot of stuff going on that it could be interpreted and you're just sort of looking at it like, wow, you know, I mean, it's almost like a cover because if you look at it closely, 
and you look at a, a larger, you know, because, you know, the cover that we're looking at obviously is uh, on the Internet, right? It's like a digital version. But if you look at a higher resolution, it's a drawing, right? Yeah. Um, and you, I think you could put this up in an art gallery, you know, like like just put it up in an art show and I guarantee you'd have everybody in that gallery, you know, just just around this one drawing like what does it mean you know <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely definitely something that that draws your attention immediately whether you like it or not i mean I, yeah it will grab your attention because i looked at it was like is that guy giving a finger what is what is that <laughs> oh he is he <laughs> you is know. you know really really giving the finger and, and it, you know when you first look at it, it looks like he has some sort of like tribal mask on or something but mm -hmm. then if you look closer, it's almost like that's his real face, you know, in the yeah, drawing. Yeah, he's just got like a crazy duck face or something where, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like, you know, is that like an old man or is he, does he have a mask on or what the hell is that? <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's interesting. So people out there, you know, if anything, go up and look at this. Uh, go, you know, just find this album cover on the uh, on the Internet somewhere and just take a look at it. It's it's, you know, it's it's worth looking at. Um, yeah, and I, I think anybody uh, there was a group called Oz and Motley. Um, they kind of remind me a little bit of uh, Cascabulo, where they 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 sort of just have a a world beat type you know vibe to them, and you know lots of lots of great percussion and, and rhythm guitar, and you know just you know bring in all sorts of hey you know what i like this music and i like this music and i like this and we're going to put it all in this one song you know and um and then it just comes out and it works you know where you know there's just guys that that seem to enjoy playing you know especially in front of an audience and it, it seems like you know for the period that they were they were actually you know making music i bet they they really thrived in in front of an audience where, where oh, yeah. when they were live it was great yeah 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 definitely uh so let's check this out this last track from cascabulho i'll try to get this right this is uh clementina de jesus no moro da conciecao <laughs> Os tambores acariciam a noite Sim, a Clementina acordou E o estandarte do estrela chegou Sim, a Clementina acordou E o estandarte do estrela chegou Acariciam a noite, sim, a Clementina acordou E o estandarte do estrela chegou Sim, a Clementina acordou E o estandarte do estrela chegou Bravos guerreiros que dançam com a ira da dor Luz nas escadarias do morro O estandarte do estrela chegou Samba Maracatu Eles descem o morro de branco Pra Samba Maracatu 
Oi que eles descem o morro de branco Pra samba maracatu oh, oh, oh. heard the last track from Casabulo and we're going to move on to our third album Nico Case her album Fox Confessor Brings the Flood from 2006 and uh, you know this is kind of an interesting one because this album had to have been very new when Tom Moon first started writing the book um you know, it was released in 2006, and I believe this is, you know, right around the time that he was writing this book. And so this is a, you know, an album that, you know, it, it hasn't gone through that test of time yet, you know. Um, it When it came out in 2006, it was one of these albums that was like a, it was like a critical darling type album. You know, the critics loved this album. It was on a lot of best of 2006 album lists. And... uh you know, I think it's a great album, but it's just, you know, I just think it's interesting that a lot of the albums in here, uh, one of the reasons they are in here is they have been through that, that test of time, you know, and, uh, yeah. and this is one of those, those few albums in this book that was recent enough that, you know, it hasn't been through that test of time yet. And, uh, um, you know, I don't know. It just, just thought is an interesting thing to to think about i think i agree i think i agree with you on that um the the thing that i i wondered about was like you said i i thought this one seems a i don't want to say out of place but but in a way i guess it it was you know but still like you said not not a bad record i mean it's you know just kind of like one of those things where you you have someone you know singer songwriter you know kind of folky um, you know, kind of, you know, down to earth in a sense, but the, the songs themselves, you know, have, you know, seemingly great, you know, composition and, 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 and stories where they, you know, they, they're going in a certain direction, you know, some of them obviously probably personal, some of them maybe, maybe, you know, not so personal, maybe about other people, but, um, definitely seemingly having her, I guess her persona or her stamp on, on each one, you know, where, you know, that, that's the thing about, you know, the, the, the basic singer songwriter is what, what each individual kind of brings to, to the table with their own voice, their own writing or playing or their own personality. Um, you know, that, that makes it different than, than the next one, so to speak. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's but, uh, definitely interesting things in these songs, you know, interesting things that sort of step outside the the normal singer-songwriter box, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I definitely agree with you. Um, uh, the, I think this is the first song on, on the album, um, Margaret versus Pauline, uh, which is a song about schoolgirl rivalry. Um you know, and and then that's her spin on that is is interesting to me. Uh, listening to to that song, uh, 
earlier today and then and then some of the other songs on here um which you know i mean obviously we're gonna we're gonna play a couple of clips and i i forget the, the clips that we're gonna play but um uh we're gonna play hold on hold on and then fox confessor brings the flood okay yeah the self-titled uh yeah. track um I I I I like the record. Um, oh, another song that I listened to uh, that that kind of grabbed my attention, uh, the way just the way it was recorded was "Widow's Toast." Um, kind of has this this echo to it throughout the song. I mean, that that's another thing. The way a lot of these songs are recorded, I mean, you know, really really interesting in in that perspective. Uh, the the atmosphere and 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 the way. You know the music sounds. You know, you know, definitely. Uh, you know, has a, a a nice, you know, at times really laid back feel. But you know, the, the, again, the songwriting stands out. You know, with, with she's, uh, you know, got her her voice, which is, I guess it's 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 almost country, but but folk sounding at times. Right, right. Um, and you know, just not nothing nothing too flashy. You know, just but but very nice um right, right. yeah what she does yeah yeah i mean uh she it was described in a lot of sources that i looked at as alt country and i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't describe this album as country or even alt country i mean it's it's definitely more in the singer songwriter vein but apparently she has recorded country albums um hmm. In uh, one of her first albums, recorded in 1997, was called The Virginian, and apparently it's, I haven't heard this album or listened to it, but apparently it's it's a country album. And uh, at the time, hmm. critics were comparing her and her voice to like Patsy Cline and, and Wanda Jackson and these people from the country world. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, this first song we're going to hear, Hold On, Hold On, I think it, it does. It has some country tinges to it. Um you know, she said that this song, Hold On, Hold On, is straight up about her. It's, it's autobiographical. You know, it's a mm. song about her. Um, and it's, you know, it's kind of interesting to know that and hear some of the lyrics, you know. Um, you know, like it starts out and she says, you know, she prefers strangers because her own blood is too dangerous meaning like her own family, I guess. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I, I can relate to that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, just, just some, some other, um, <laughs> you know, interesting things, interesting uh, lines in this thing. And, and this is definitely one of those artists where, you know, you have to listen to the words because that's, that's a big part of it. That's, you know, yeah. part of the point, you know, is, is the words and crafting the words, but the thing I really liked about Nico Case and her album and her songs was uh, that, uh, you know, it's not just, you know, the music is not just a straight up vehicle or backdrop for the words. You know, she actually shapes the music according to the words and according to what she's trying to get across. And the music changes uh, because of what she's singing. You know, so she's not just playing some kind of uh, generic uh, chord progression, you know, strumming just some generic chord progression and and singing the words, you know, the music is shaped also based on the words, and uh, yeah, I really yeah, like that. Agreed. I appreciated I, the, that. The atmosphere, 
Yeah, yeah the atmosphere of the, of the music is so important on this record. I I, I totally agree. The, the the production sound on on certain songs, you know, help help enhance what she's trying to say. You know, most most definitely. I mean, like you said, the the writing is 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 so important with this record and 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 very personal obviously with with what she's trying to say but but like you said the the actual music in in helping like you said shape the songs and 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 the the total you know result is is also very very important um right you know there's a there's another song here i think it's a it's like an old gospel song um uh, John saw that number. The way it sounds, I mean, it sounds like an old gospel song. It it just kind of has this this almost rambling feel to it, where you know you could sing it in a church, and you know, I mean, I when I when I first heard it, the the way it sounded, I mean, it just it just gave me that that impression, you know, like it was just a, maybe a song that that she, uh, you know had been singing you know, maybe since she was, you know, very young and in, in church, you know, and I, that, that's just the feel of that, that song to me. Um, and, uh, you know, th- this is, this is not a record probably I would have, cause I, I, I want to say that I, I've heard her name. I mean, it, cause she's got a, a pretty unusual, I mean, I've never, I've never met a Nico before, you know, I mean, the other Nico I can think of is like the velvet undergrounds Nico, but that's, it's spelled differently. Um, but I, I, I definitely would not have, have come across this probably myself, you know, you know, away from the book, um, you know, unless, you know, you know, maybe it was meant to be. But um, right. Definitely, uh, you know, interesting sound and, and kind of like a, you know, you know, a folk folk sound, you know, not like, you know, some of the other artists we talked about, you know, Patsy Klein and you said Wanda Jackson, I think. Maybe even uh, Joni Mitchell. Um, there's a lady. Right, uh, right. I'm trying to remember her name. I think her name is Sharon Van Etten. She kind of reminds me of her too. That's a lady that that had an, an album come out maybe about a year or two ago, uh, where it was kind of kind of like this. You know, this nice singer songwriter. You know, nice atmosphere. Um, but uh, yeah, this an interesting record. Definitely good record mm-hmm. to me. Yeah, let's let's check out the first track. Um, this track uh, from Nico Case. This is "Hold On, Hold On." The most tender place in my heart is for strangers. I know it's unkind, but my own blood is much too Around the ceiling half the time Hanging around the ceiling half the time
heard Hold On, Hold On by Nico Case. And we're going to move on to the second track, Fox uh, Fox Confessor Brings the Flood, the title track. And, uh, you know, I I really love this tune, you know, but I have no freaking clue what it's about. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I went went online and I I read the lyrics and, and I tried to do some research on it and I have, I just have, I, I'm at, I have no clue what it's about. It, the, the, the lyrics are like really cool and they sound really cool. Uh-huh. And that's a really cool title. Fox confessor brings a flood. I have no clue what that means, but uh, it's cool. <laughs> do you yeah, have any um, idea? You know, um, I, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really don't. I mean, I, I kind of looked too and I was like, well, um, maybe we're not supposed to know. Um, <laughs> maybe it could be something that's just very personal with her. I- I'm sure it has some sort of meaning, but you know what? I I'm really not sure. You right, know? right, right. I mean, he, you know, this is another one where I think the words are affecting uh, how the music plays out. There's this really cool moment. I think um, towards the beginning, uh, or may- maybe about a quarter way through the song. Uh, where you, you get this sudden instrumentation change. So it, it's sort of like going along. You have this bass and drums, electric guitars and acoustic guitars and all this stuff kind of weaving this uh, this accompaniment, you know, to the words. And then she comes up on this line, which is, uh, and I kneel to the wheel of the Fox Confessor. As soon as she hits that line, everything drops out and you just have one uh, acoustic 12-string guitar just strumming. You know, it's just sort of a like a really sudden change, you know, but a really affecting, you know, change. I just thought it was really cool. I mean, I wish I knew what the significance was there lyrically. You know, again, I don't I can't figure it out. But, uh, you know, I thought that was a really cool moment. Um, and then uh, there's a sort of uh, shortish electric guitar solo in here about three quarters of the way through. But again, um, there's one guitar that's doing sort of a, a more, I don't know, typical guitar solo, you know, that fits into the song. But it's it's punctuated with another electric guitar that's doing these sort of like just noise interjections, which is really cool. And it's, I mean, it's almost like, if you know, Lee Ronaldo from Sonic Youth like photobombed the the song. <laughs> if <laughs> That's that makes an interesting sense. way to put that. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I mean, there's some interesting things in this song. You know, like very interesting, thought provoking lyrics that really aren't obvious as to what she's saying, and and really interesting things musically going on. Um, and it's got this real kind of dark tone, and I don't know. I really liked it. I mean, what do you think of this? Um, it, it's it's something that I like to the the music. I, I I'm I'm really curious about how you know a lot of it you know is 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 sort of placed and 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 like you said you know lyrically is is it's really interesting to to kind of go through what what she means and and hearing her voice. But I, I'm I'm still trying to figure it out. I mean, I'm looking even right now, you know. To, to try to find a deeper meaning, which is which is what's kind of fun about this record is is going through you know her lyrics and trying to figure out you know you know what's what and, and 
you know, what's personal, what's what's kind of maybe made up, you know, and, you know, just, you know, what's going through her mind as she's, you know, putting these songs together. Um, but, uh, you know, overall, just the, the 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 tone of the album, like you said, some of it's it's kind of dark and moody. Um, but, uh, you know, just a, a, an interesting record to, to come across and, and listen to. Um, I, I've never really been, you know, real, real big on, on singer-songwriters. I mean, some people, you know, you know, have, have piqued my interest more than others, but um, this is a this is an interesting one for sure. Um, just to kind of you know, you know, see her perspective, so to speak, on on you know a variety of things, and then have the the music come together like it does. You know, sometimes uh, you know, strange like on this song, like you said, the the outburst of of electric guitar here and there that you know seem placed you know for a definite reason. You know, where you kind of like, okay, what is that about? You know, so. But, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, overall, de- definitely, definitely an interesting record. Yeah, man. Well, let's check it out. This last track uh, from uh, Nico Case. This is Fox Confessor brings the flood. <laughs> case fox confessor brings the flood and we're going to move on to our last two albums for this show uh really an icon of american music uh johnny cash and we get to hear i I like i really like uh tom moon's choice of albums because we get to hear johnny cash you know in the 1960s and really in his in the prime of his life and then we get to hear johnny cash at the end of his life a a really sort of a person you know the same person but at completely different places in their life and uh 
and it really comes across in in the in the music you know where he's at in his life and and uh you know you you can just hear especially in the second record the american recording and you can just hear the the experience in the guy's voice and it, you know everything just comes across you know but um yeah we'll start with uh, at Folsom Prison released in 1968 and I guess when this album was recorded Johnny Cash had been doing these free prison concerts for about 10 years already um he he obviously had you know a great compassion for prisoners <laughs> and uh yeah uh, he would go around and and play these uh you know free concerts you know prisons you know couldn't pay an artist like Johnny Cash to come in and play. So he would, he would do these uh, concerts for free for the prisoners in, in these different prisons. And uh, I always assumed that the title track Folsom prison blues I always assumed that, you know, Johnny Cash had written that song, especially for this occasion, but he had been singing this song for years and years before. Yeah. Yeah. Before this, uh, this album. Uh, and before, you know, he played, he actually played at Folsom prison. Um, but, uh, you know, this is one of those, I mean, it's just an iconic song of American music and it, you know, it, it really encapsulates so, you know, so much American experience of, you know, obviously a certain, uh, of a certain kind, you know, but, um, (laughs) but it's, it's just so poignant and man talk about playing to an audience you know it it's it's almost chilling to uh hear you know when he sings that line I, you know i shot a man in reno just to watch him die and then have all those prisoners just cheering cheer <laughs> yeah and yeah. You, and, and it's <laughs> it's kind of chilling you know to <laughs> okay you know you know some of these dudes have done that probably as well um yeah also too the the trash talk the uh, i guess what was the prison warden um while on stage i mean he he, yes. he didn't have some, he had some really unkind things to say about him while he was there and they cheered that too i was like of course yeah, yeah. Start a riot. <laughs> i know you that's know? exactly what i was thinking when i was hearing this thing i was like you know the warden and the guards are like I'm surprised they didn't shut him down a couple times, you know, cause yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I would be thinking. If I was one of the guards, one of the wardens, I'd be thinking, man, there's, there's going to be a riot, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I think with, with both of these recordings from Johnny Cash, we're going to kind of talk about, that's one of the things that I respected about him. He really didn't hold his tongue for, no, he didn't for too many reasons. I mean, I mean, he wasn't like a, a, a brutal man in that sense, but he just, he was just himself. He was he was just like, hey, you know what? If 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 it hadn't been for you know circumstances in my life, I might have been in that audience with those guys, and somebody right. else would have right. been up here performing. So he didn't feel too much removed from where they were. I mean, yeah. he felt like a lot of them, no matter what they'd done to get there, were just regular guys that just got caught up in life. Right. You know? Well, I think you know Johnny so, Cash, and I think I've read this certain places, but. I think he felt like if it wasn't for music and if it wasn't for, you know, him, you know, being lucky and having career in music that he'd probably be where those guys were. Yeah, Um, exactly. And I think he had a great empathy, you know, for those guys, a lot of those guys that were in prison. 
Um, and yeah, you know, that's one of the things that I love about Johnny Cash is that, you know, he wasn't diplomatic. Um, he wasn't, he wasn't what today we would call politically correct at all. No, he, he no, just, he, was not, he just no. said what he felt and just, you know, everything was out, you know, for everyone to see, you know, he just, everything was right there on his sleeve, you know? Um, and that's yeah. one of the great things about Johnny Cash, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah, definitely had, definitely had quite a few demons, um, you know, drug addiction, you know, probably one of the worst ones where, you know, he, he, he really had, had a hard time with, with that. Um, you know, just, um, you know, being, being addicted to anything is, is, it can be awful, you know, especially, you know, you know, hard drugs, I mean, heroin and, and cocaine and, you know, stuff that just makes you a monster to deal with. And I'm sure he, he had issues. I mean, you know, all kinds of people trying to get around him and, you know, influence him. And, you know, you know, I, I, I know that it will, it was not easy, you know, and then coming from a place where, you know, to be famous was, I mean, you were almost like the king, you know, I mean, it was, it was good to kind of see him, sort of turn and then be able to to give back to other people that were kind of going through some of them i'm sure are the same thing you know where it's like you know what hey i i know where you guys are and i understand you know um and again like i said i'm not so far removed to where you know i'm i'm up on i'm up here on the stage but you know it could be really really different and uh and just such such a great performance. I mean, we talk about the whole perfection thing earlier. I mean, obviously, when you we're doing a live recording like this, you know, and and it's in a prison. It it's not like the best setup. I mean, you know, they're they're kind of just doing it for for what it's worth, and 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 to work in the mistakes and make it funny and make it you know part of the whole process was was really great with this record. And then on top of you know, obviously great performance from Johnny Cash uh, I think the you know the Statler brothers along with June Carter and I think Carl Perkins too on this record um, you know all of them just you know really really you know great I mean and, and uh, the Statler brothers is one of those groups that when I started listening to this I forgot how much they influenced not only in, in country music but some other pop music over the years I, I was I was listening to you know, they're harmonizing and vocals. It's like, man, you know what? The Statler Brothers used to be like, you know, really, really popular <laughs> at one time. Um, right. Yeah. I, if I remember correctly, I mean, it had quite a few songs that, that I liked as a kid, you know, and, um, you know, it was, it was just interesting to have all of them, you know, be able to, to give these guys, you know, a, a day where they didn't have to think about being locked up in prison, you know? Right. Yeah, man. Well, uh, yeah, let's just check out the first track from this, the Folsom Prison Blues. Um, and uh, this this kind of sets the tone, you know, for the whole record. So uh, here it is. Uh, Johnny Cash, Folsom Prison Blues. Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. I hear the train a coming. It's rolling around a bend. And I ain't seen the sunshine since 
I don't know when I'm stuck in Folsom Prison And time keeps dragging on But that train keeps rolling On down to San Antonio When I was just a baby My mama told me, son Always be a good boy Don't ever play with guns But I shot a man in Reno Just to watch him die When I hear that whistle blowing I hang my head and cry There's rich folks eating from a fancy dining car They're probably drinking coffee and smoking big cigars Well, I know I had it coming I know I can't be free But those people keep a moving And that's what tortures me And we just heard Folsom Prison Blues, and we're going to move on to I Got a Woman. And this is a duet that he does with uh, June Carter. And, uh, you know, it, it, again, you know, talking about playing to the crowd. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, these prisoners are just eating this one up. And uh, yeah. they're just, he and June are just playing it up. I mean, like to the hilt. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's funny, you know, one at one point, you know, June forgets the words and she just yeah. starts going a la dee 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 da. And then she's like, I forgot, <laughs> you know, and just sort of <laughs> starts laughing. And uh, it doesn't matter. You know, it's just like they they keep going. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, yeah. What do you think? I got I got a woman. Well, it, exactly. I mean, that's that's one of the things that that, that gives this record such a, a great element, a human element where. You know, those guys were were so excited. the 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 audience, and as well as Johnny and and June and everybody else performing that, you know, that that kind of stuff normally would have been like, oh, but it was it was just such a different situation there, where it was like, you know what, just let's just keep going, you know, because I I remember I heard that where it was almost like they just totally popped out and was like, did they just forget the words to their own song, you know? And then, like you said, the audience, they just they just were rolling and laughing and, and eating it up. And, you know, it was just it was OK. You know, it, it actually made it even more fun, you know, to where, like I said, the 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 life of living in prison is is hell, I imagine. And, and it was just like one day where guys that were in there could think, you know, hey, this is a day where I, I can kind of get my mind off of what I normally have to deal with in this life. And, and hopefully obviously some of them who are, who are maybe going to get out could have something that, you know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting the hell out of here and maybe enjoying my life outside these walls. And this is just something to remind me of, of that. And then some of them who maybe weren't getting out were just, you know, Hey, I, I know I'm going to be here the rest of my life, but you know, this is one day where, you know, I don't, I don't have to carry that burden on my shoulders, you know, and I'm sure there was, 
there were all kind of feelings going on, you know, in, in that crowd, you know, where, where guys were like, you know, just just relieved to have some some form of entertainment, let alone Johnny Cash, who, you know, obviously, like I said, was just one of those guys who was who was so popular at that time, you know, and, and to give, you know, that kind of performance, you know, and, and make it personal and, and talk with the people and, 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 and give, you know, a variety of, of what he was about. I mean, obviously, you know, country sounds, but also some, some gospel sounds, you know, where, where Johnny Cash loved gospel music. And, um, you know, I'm sure that that touched a lot of people too, where, you know, it would kind of remind them of, of something, you know, again, outside of, outside of those prison walls that, that they can maybe have some faith in to, to help them, you know, make it through. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I've never been in prison or locked up, but I know that that cannot be easy to, to have that kind of existence day by day right. where you, you don't know. I mean, you don't know if you're ever going to get out. You don't know if you're going to make it out of there alive, you know, what's going to happen to you and that kind of thing. So, you know, just a, a, a very, a very interesting recording. I think there is there is a documentary that I came across a clip on a few weeks back uh, and, and posted um, on our on our Facebook page. I really would love to see that documentary. I I've seen a lot of the footage of the actual performance, um, but I, I would love to to see this documentary, especially if, if Johnny is is obviously sitting and talking on it, you know, before he passed, right. I'm sure it's, it's really, really good. Uh, you know, probably Johnny and June and, um, you know, that I'm, I'm sure it's a, it's an awesome documentary. I'll, I'll, I'll have to dig around and see if I can find it. Yeah. Uh, dude, I'd love to see that too. Um, well, uh, let's check it out. Shall we? Cool. Uh, yes, the, uh, the, uh, last track, uh, from Ed Folsom prison. This is, I got a woman. got a woman way across town she's good to me oh yeah i got a woman way across town she's good to me oh yeah well she's my baby when i'm in need oh she's a real true friend indeed i got a woman way across town she's good to me oh Grumbles and fusses just treats me right. I da 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 I forgot that. <laughs> I got a woman right across town. She's good to me. Oh yeah. Well I got a woman right across town. She's good to me. Oh yeah. Well, she's my baby. Don't you understand? And fusses just treats me right. Never walking in the street, leave me alone. She knows the woman's place is right there now in our home. We got a woman way across town. She's good to me. Oh, yeah. I got a woman way across 
We just heard I Got a Woman, and we're going to move on to our last recording for today, uh, the uh, American Recordings from, uh, I think the first one was released in 94. Uh, this is this is the first one, the first of, uh, f- I think he did five, right? Maybe? Six? I don't wow, know. really? I can't remember. Um, but uh, yeah, this is the first one. And really, you know, the circumstances surrounding this record and subsequent uh, American recordings, I think are really, really interesting and fascinating. You know, uh, Johnny Cash uh, in the 80s, especially, you know, his his career was really in decline. And uh, I think he tried to, do, you know, different projects and tried to do different things to revitalize his career. Yeah. And I think he had some movies some movies in that age. I don't know if you've ever seen any of his movies. I Like know, where he was trying to act. No. Whew. <laughs> <laughs> some interesting stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, right. So, you know, he, he, I think he strayed from who he was. I think basically that's what it was, you know. You know, when you're trying to grasp so hard at, at holding on to that, you know, that fame and all that stuff, um, I think he started to lose who he was, you know, in his music. And I think that's part of the reason, you know, why those albums weren't very well received uh, in the 80s. Yeah. And, uh, you know, by the early 90s, he was sort of in a depression and a funk. I think he, he thought he his, he was pretty much done. And uh, at that time, uh, producer Rick Rubin, who is, uh, you know, owned, uh, you know, in the back in the day, uh, uh Def Jam, right? Is, the, is what he started. Yeah, Def 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 American in this place. In this it, case, yeah, I Def American. Think, well, uh, he originally started Jeff Def Jam. That was his first one, right? Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, the, with the Beastie Boys and and a lot of those groups. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, he this is a producer. Of the Beastie Boys, also groups like Slayer, the, the you know, death metal band Slayer, and you know, the last person you would think would want to be associated with Johnny Cash, but apparently he was a big Johnny Cash fan and he approached him in the early nineties um, yeah. about doing these recordings. And, and essentially, I mean, this is like as stripped down and raw as you can get with Johnny Cash. I mean, basically they stripped everything away. The, the recording was made in Johnny Cash's living room. It is Johnny Cash and his Martin acoustic guitar. And that's it. And nothing yeah. else, you yeah. know, um, and it's, you know, songs about Johnny Cash, you know, reflecting on his life in, in that Johnny Cash fashion, you know, where everything's out there, you know, reflecting on the good times and the bad times and the regrets and the and 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 things to come, you know, old age and and being at the end of your life. And 
I, it's just it's really great stuff and really profound stuff, you know, um, and sometimes really funny stuff. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. What, what did you think of this record overall? Well, go, going back to to Rick, Rick Rubin, I, I think um, he genuinely saw an opportunity to make a very historic record with Johnny Cash in the sense to where he obviously knew who Johnny Cash was, what he was still capable of and decided, you know what, let's, let's set up a, a scenario where we just make a record. Like you said, very stripped down, you know, very, you know, personal, but, you know, put it out, you know, and, and ask market this record, which they, you know, trust me when this record came out, I mean, they, there was a very hard push from his distributor to get it out and let people know, you know, this was a revitalized, you know, Johnny Cash, so to speak, you know, and and even even like you said, he was sort of, you know, coming to like the 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 end of his career in a way, you know, where he he traveled very long ways and several several records behind him. This was uh, a Johnny Cash that people were were really gonna want to hear and and they and he was right i mean you know people really took to this record i mean you know immediately and um to, to bring some of the you know i guess modern sort of elements of music you know like him uh him doing hurt and and still being himself was it was very very smart i think on their part uh, yeah, because it gave it gave Johnny's music and sound new life, and and kind of gave you know I guess what you would call the MTV generation uh, a a broader picture or a better picture I should say of what Johnny Cash was all about. I mean he wasn't just you know just some you know country music star. I mean he was much bigger than that. I mean as far as an iconic figure. You know, and 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 how he lived his life and how he influenced—I mean, tons of people. You know, all sorts of people. That you know, the the way he went about living his life and making music, and I mean, being flat down on his face. You know, where like you said, he had he had seemingly come to the end of his career, and and didn't have anything left, and then all of a sudden, these records come out. And then what's funny, I didn't realize how many records had come out after this. You know, until you started talking about it now, and I looked and I was like, "Wow!" You know, he, he, he really kind of got a, a serious jolt towards the end. Yeah, there where yeah, you know, he sort of got the last, I guess, last laugh on the music industry that, you know, I guess gave up on him in a way. You know, yeah, so. absolutely, absolutely. Um, and you mentioned, you know, him doing that's what that's the one track that everybody talks about is him, uh, his cover of Nine Inch Nails "Hurt." And uh, that's not on this album. It wasn't on the first record. Uh, I can't remember which one it was on. Uh, I would love to have been able to play a clip from that, but it wasn't. Yeah, on this and one. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm mentioning. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I didn't. I didn't mean to make no, it like dude, it was included feel, on this record. Yeah, but I that I, I could not go without without thinking about that. Right. I mean, one of the things that 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 strikes me with that song is um, after June died. You, you you knew obviously he was he was really grieving. I mean they were together so long, and uh, 
I saw that video on on TV. I think like a Monday after the weekend when she passed, and and that song kind of had this new gravity with me, where I was like, man, I, I bet he hears that song and it's just killing him. You know, I yeah. mean, I was like, wow. I mean, and it, and then it, it just kind of made me realize again his whole life and the and the ironic, you know, joy and pain of it, because he, I'm sure he had like you know, moments where he was really on the mountaintop and moments where he was just, I mean, at the bottom of the volcano, so to speak, where he he had just some very hard, hard times. And I mean, that was just Johnny Cash in a nutshell. I mean, his his life was a a, a good mix of both, you know. And, right, um, right. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Well, let's, let's delve into this first track. Um, actually, the, it is the first track on the album, Delia's Gone. And uh, man, if this one doesn't grab you, I don't know. I mean, what what a great track to, I don't know, re, re what am I trying to say? Uh, re unleash Johnny Cash onto the world. I mean, it's just like, okay, here's yep. Johnny Cash's new album. You thought he was out. Listen to this first track, and it's just like, wow. <laughs> Yeah, you, you, know? you think you think Johnny Cash is old and sitting in a rocket chair somewhere on a porch? You are wrong. He will <laughs> he will raise up and give you an elbow in the head if you think. Right, right. That's that's who he is. He is right. not. That's and that, and that is evident by the lyrics of this song. Um, yeah, he's just as just as dark as ever when he wants to be. So yeah, and know. it's just I mean, and it's the song is really really dark, and it's really funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and you sort of feel guilty for for thinking it's funny, but it is. <laughs> it, it, it is. I mean, one thing. Whenever I hear this song, I mean, people who used to watch Beavis and Butthead probably remember when Beavis and Butthead sat and listened to this song on their show. Oh, I don't and remember. I don't remember this. That, yeah, you you could probably go to YouTube and see where where they they used to in between the breaks where they were just being knuckleheads. They would sit and listen to songs on TV, and this was one of them, where they they were talking about you know, you know, hey, that's Johnny Cash, Man in Black, and then they they start listening to the lyrics, you know, like where he talks about you know, first time I shot her, shot her in the side, and they're both like you know, whoa, you know, this dude is cool, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so Beavis and Butthead, he as as you know, off the chain as they were, they were Johnny Cash fans, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that was just kind of like a funny moment. I'm pretty sure Johnny probably thought, you know, and if he thought, he probably thought it was hilarious too. I mean, just to have them, you know, sort of being tied forever to this song and Johnny Cash in that element is, in it's, it's hilarious. Yeah. You know, yeah. So. yeah. It's like, I can, I don't just picture him like writing this and, You'd be like, okay, what do I rhyme with the word mean? Submotion. <laughs> Submotion. 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 Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Not, yeah. That's awesome. Um, so you know, I don't want to give away too much. Let's just uh, let's just play it. Cool. All right. So this is uh, Johnny Cash. Delia's gone. Delia, oh Delia, Delia, all my life. If I hadn't a shot, poor Delia, I'd have had her for my wife. Delia's gone, one more round, Delia's gone. I went up to Memphis 
And I met Delia there Found her in her parlor And I tied her to her chair Delia's gone one more round Delia's gone She was low down and trifling And she was cold and mean Kind of evil make me want to grab my submachine Delia's gone one more round Delia's gone First time I shot her I shot her in the side Hard to watch her suffer But with the second shot she died Delia's gone one more round Delia's gone But jailer, oh jailer Jailer, I can't sleep Cause all around my bedside I hear the patter of Delia's feet Delia's gone One more round Delia's gone And we just heard Delia's gone And uh, I'm sure she is After that one (laughs) Uh, And uh, we're going to move on to our last track for the show Let the train blow the whistle Um and you know this is uh this is a pretty profound song i mean it's it's basically one of those i don't regret my life you know I, uh you know let let death come when it comes i'll be ready for it uh kind of songs you know it's really it's it's like uh if any of you are familiar with that old uh dylan thomas poem you know uh, uh where it says you know rage against the dying of the light it, it kind of along the same lines, you know, not, not quite the same thing, you know, in the Dylan Thomas poem, he's talking about, you know, rage, rage against death. You know, this is sort of a different take on it. This is like, you know, let death come. I've, you know, I have no regrets. I've had a great life, you know, let, let it come. I'll, I'll be ready when it comes and, you know, I'll see you on the other side kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree. Just, you know, Johnny Cash on his own terms saying, you know, I, I if, if I got to come to the end, you know, the way I am now, you know, so be it, you know, without fear, without regret, you know, just, you know, I've, I've had a lot of things go on in my life that, that maybe I'm not necessarily proud of, but, you know, this is who I am. This is a man that, you know, you know, won't, you know, compromise who, who he's been or what he's done, you know, and, I, I agree. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's just Johnny Cash in a, in a nutshell right, where he, right. he's just one of those guys that, you know, he's, he's so, he's so a, a great example of how to live life in certain ways and, and not to live life in other ways. You know, um, I, I definitely think that he's, he's just one of those people that for lack of a better way of saying it is, is a role model of, of, you know, how, how American life can be lived. I mean, you know, whether you're famous or not, I mean, cause, cause Johnny Cash had, had all kinds of stuff that happened to him, you know, you know, whether you'd be a famous person, especially like the, the drug addiction for Johnny Cash was one of those things that, you know, was, was hard to kick, I'm sure. And could have very yeah, well yeah. killed him, you know, but he, he, he survived it. You know, a lot of people don't, 
you know, and he and he lived to tell a story about about that and, and, and dealing with, you know, his image, which he, he definitely had an image there. There was a period. I mean, that's that's another thing. If you go to YouTube and, and look at Johnny Cash, he's he's got all kinds of periods of his life. But there was a period where he had a variety show on TV and it was a good variety show. I mean, he would have all kinds of people on there, not just country artists, but like, you know, people who were, you know, I guess you would consider, you know, you know, pop music stars, people that, you know, you know, you would consider kind of like Vegas type superstars. I mean, you know, just anybody could come on his show and, and play with him. I mean, he would play his own stuff and then they would play other people's songs. And, you know, it was it was just fun because he was that kind of entertainer where he was he was broad enough to sort of, you know, move in and out of, of different musical styles if he had to, but still be himself, you know. Right. And right. um, you know, I, I think he's he's somebody that he gets quite a bit of credit, but maybe maybe not enough. I going back and listen looking at those old Johnny Cash variety shows, they were some very good, good programs. I mean, he would he would have all kinds of people on there. Dolly Parton, I've seen her on there. Um Mel Tillis, I mean you know, a, a variety of country stars, but then some other people would be on. I think one time, uh, Gladys Knight was on his show, huh. um, and they sang sang some songs together. If I remember correctly, I mean, just you know, he was just one of those guys that was just a great entertainer. You know, overall, just had such a a great charisma about him. You know, the way he would always introduce himself. Obviously, I mean, it was just one of those things. That I can't think of anybody else that that does that. And, and does it the way he does with such resonance. Maybe like, you know, James Bond, you know? Because, <laughs> I mean, I you know how he does, hello, I'm Johnny Cash. I mean, who does that? I mean, just introduces himself and people just, you know, give him a standing ovation. I mean, just the way he he was. I mean, his his whole right. persona is just, right. it was just an incredible guy. You right, know? yeah. Yeah, and I said before, you know, uh, when I first started talking about this song, I said before, you know, he he sort of has no regrets that's that's not right i uh that's incorrect but i should say is that you know in this song he presents his life as he does have regrets he has a lot of regrets but he doesn't apologize for them he just sorts of put he he just puts them out there and says you know and just like you said you know as he introduces himself hi i'm johnny cash this is just like this is who i was this is who i am and that's just life and you know take it or take it or leave take take me or leave me this is who i am you know and that's yeah, that's just he's definitely that's, not going to dwell on it yeah and that's that's always the awesome thing about johnny cash he's just he was just who he was you know and he didn't apologize for it so um yeah so let's check out this last track from johnny cash and his uh, american recordings one this is let the train blow the whistle I don't want no aggravation When my train has left the station If you're there or not, I may not even know Have a round and remember things we did that weren't so tender Let the train blow the whistle when I go On my old guitar sell tickets So someone can finally pick it and tell the girls down at the Ritz I said hello 
Tell the gossipers and liars I will see them in the fire Let the train blow the whistle when I go Let her blow, let her blow Long and loud and hard and happy Let her blow No regrets, all my debts Will be paid when I get laid Let her blow let her blow, let her blow You'll be left without excuses For the evils and abuses Down to today from years and years ago And have yourself another tote From my basket full of smoke And let the train blow the whistle when I go let her blow, oh, let her blow, long and loud and hard and happy. And let we just blow. heard Let the Train Blow the Whistle, and that's going to do it for this week, episode 35 of the 1000 Recordings Podcast. If you'd like to send us an email, send one at 1000recordingspodcast at gmail.com. You can join us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 1000rp. You can go to the website where we have links to all the recordings that we play. Uh, And you can uh, go to that site at uh, 1000rp.blogspot.com. You can join us on Facebook as well. And uh, yeah, and join in uh, the conversation with uh, Mitch and I on Facebook. Um, We have a five-star review, a a new five-star review to read. Do we really? Yeah, we do. Cool. <laughs> um, yeah, let's see. I'm I'm pulling it up now. I didn't have it. Uh, I didn't have it pulled up. But um, let's see. Yeah, I I usually I'm usually prepared, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time. <laughs> I know. Um, let's see if. Uh, the iTunes store <laughs> cooperates with me. Okay, so um, we have uh, a new review from Flybrarian, which I think that's an awesome name. Flybrarian. <laughs> Flybrarian. Um, <laughs> and Flybrarian says, along with Tom Moon's book, this podcast is a fantastic way to hear new music and learn about it at the same time. I especially enjoy Anthony's analysis of classical albums in the book. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, yeah. So thanks, Flybarian. We appreciate that review uh, very much. And um, yeah, if you'd like to go onto iTunes and leave us a rating and a review, uh, we will very much appreciate it. It will help us in our visibility and getting, you know, reaching new listeners and we'll read it on the show. So yeah thank you (laughs) um and as far as next week and let's see what do we have next week um we have another brazilian artist um dorival kami kami i'm not sure um then we have uh, uh oh i think we lost mitch again Well, 
Uh, as he's trying to get that figured out, I'm just going <laughs> to keep going uh, with this. Um, we have an album from uh, composer Emmanuel Charbrier, uh, an opera um, called Le Roy Malgré Lui, uh, which is a French uh, opera. Uh, yeah, like a romantic era French composer. So we'll get into that next week. Uh, then we have another, I, I believe, uh, uh, even another Brazilian artist, Manu Chao. It could be, let's see, I'm not sure if he's, uh, I'm not sure where he's from right now. But uh, we have that album. And uh, then we have uh, Tracy Chapman, uh, her album. And finally, uh, Ray Charles. We're going to get into some Ray Charles. So, um that is next week and I wish we could uh, sign off with, with Mitch here. Let me see if I can find out what's going on with him. And it seems like he's, he's, uh, he's going to be uh, right back. Um, so I'm going to pause it right now so he can, uh, have a chance to come back and say bye. That's pretty much the show. Um, so let me pause it right here and, uh, wait for Mitch to get back. So I'm back and I'm recording this a little bit later in the day. Uh, Mitch actually did come back from getting disconnected and we recorded a little ending to the show and, uh, it was there, and then I lost it. I don't know. I have no idea what happened. So, obviously, uh, all our technical problems have, have not completely worked themselves out. So, I'm sorry, Mitch. You didn't get to say goodbye. I'm sorry, guys. You didn't get to say uh, or hear Mitch uh, say later, but he, he did. He said goodbye to everybody. And uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks, guys. See you later. <laughs>